Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. Before I introduce my amazing guest for this episode, I just wanted to give a little shout out to the fact that I'm doing a live Control-Alt-Delete show at Underbelly Festival Southbank with the brilliant comedian Ellie Jane Taylor, who is one of my favourite comedians on Live at the Apollo. And it's just going to be a really fun evening. So if you're up for coming, I will put a link in the description on my website and it should come up on any of the podcast apps so if you want to come along i'd love to see you there and anyway here is the episode and today's guest is dustin lance black who goes by the name lance lance has been named as one of the 50 most powerful lgbtq plus people in america for the last decade he is also an academy award-winning filmmaker writer and social activist he won the oscar and two wga awards for his screenplay milk the biopic of activist harvey milk starring sean penn he was also a founding board member of the american foundation for equal rights which successfully led the federal cases for marriage equality in california and virginia Lance's memoir, Mama's Boy, is out now and it's an incredible book. It's absolutely beautifully written and tells the story of growing up in a conservative Mormon household outside San Antonio, Texas. The book is about his relationship with his mother, Anne, who had contracted polio when she was just two years old and throughout her life endured many surgeries. Lance came out to his mother at 21 and Mama's Boy explores their relationship and what it took to remain a family despite such division in what they believe. Mama's Boy is the story of building bridges, the power of storytelling, the power of conversation, of family, foundations, tragedy and elation and love. It's a story so needed right now in a time where we're struggling to have conversations about difficult topics and in a world where social media is dividing a lot of people into separate camps when actually a lot of us might agree on certain things if we met up face to face. It's just such a brilliant, brilliant book and I really, really recommend you getting a copy. There is so much more I could say about Lance. Uh, He's done so much in his working life. And um, most of all, he was just so lovely to interview and so warm and articulate. And I thoroughly enjoyed meeting him and going to his home in London to record. It felt very intimate and I absolutely loved it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. I know I always ask, but it's super important for it to be boosted in the charts so here it is and i hope you enjoy i know thomas taught me i'm supposed to offer tea tom i have offered tea (laughs) have you already had caffeine today yes yeah have you ever had like that one too many yes (laughs) when you're like this could be bad most days yeah (laughs) so first of all thank you so much for doing this podcast i can't quite believe it Come on. I was binging on a lot of your interviews last night and you are the most articulate speaker ever. Well, I'm going to fail you today. <laughs> We're in like a different setting now. You're, you're in our son's nursery. Yeah. First of all, congratulations on your incredible book, Mama's Boy. So it's just Thank come you. out in the UK. In fact, yes, it's just coming out right now. I think it's uh, I think it hits stores uh, tomorrow. Uh, you know, by the time this comes out, it will officially be in shops. Nice. It's um, it's Very beautiful. Uh, so my first question is: it is so vivid and 
I'm just with you from the first page, honestly. And I just wondered, writing something so personal, how did you access your memory in that way? I <clears throat> I thought the only way to do it honestly was to put my own story through the same strict scrutiny that I put other people's stories through when I tell theirs. Now, that's a lot of things that I like to do. First, I want to go to first-hand interviews. I don't want to depend on uh, too many second-hand stories, uh, as particularly from my good family in the South. We tend to mythologize our family members <laughs> as soon as they pass away. And so... I, I do it by uh, going back to journals is a really good one, looking through old photos. But what really helps is getting two people who both experience the same thing in a room together and they start to correct each other's memories. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in this instance, often it was me and making sure that I'm telling the story to, say, my stepfather or my brother or to an aunt, uncle, a cousin, and we're sharing the story together uh, and correcting each other. And then they're reminding me of things I forgot or things that I had uh, maybe turned a little bit. Um, because memory is a slippery, strange, interesting thing. We tend to fictionalize our lives and our memory. And I didn't want to do that for that book, for this book. So I did put it through the same uh, rigor that I do other people's. That is so interesting because that must be such a, such a, a kind of a skill to do that you're accessing like your past self and your past emotions because you're now older and wiser and maybe you've learned more but you're you're going back and it's like your childhood self that it's you're talking to again it's incredibly alarming i mean <clears throat> i'm not sure it's good therapy but as you start to investigate your own memory of your own life you realize how uh how far your memory has warped and changed what really happened so maybe it is good. Maybe it is good. Maybe it is healthy. You're kind of getting back. I was getting back to the truth. What was more fascinating to me than my own memory was learning about my mom. Uh, I mean, let's be clear. You, you've read it. Mm -hmm. It's my mom is the main character. I'm a supporting character. I fell in love with her. Oh, good. She's worthy of love. The um, she I met her. Uh, at zero years old in a hospital uh, when she was a Mormon. She was very, very conservative. She was wearing, you know, dresses hemmed down to the floor on her braces and her crutches, getting around. And um, what I discovered in my research was a very different young woman, um, one who reminds me a bit more of me. She was a flirt. Uh, she knew how to work what she had left that she could move, mostly from the shoulders up. She did her hair perfectly. She could bat an eyelash. She was uh, somehow... Uh, though unable to move her entire childhood, seemed to have, uh, in this one journal that I found, seemed to have earned the love, the undying love of every push boy and priest in training in that hospital she grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, and that was not the mom that I met when I was born. Isn't it funny that every single person will get to a point in their life where they'll see their parents not just as their parents and like as an actual person? Yeah. It's crazy. With, with desire. Ah, <laughs> like you, that's scary. Yeah, that like you had a life before me. Yeah. How dare they? Obviously, the title of the book says it all. Like, this is a book about her. And was that something that you needed to do? Or was it something you wanted to do? I think both. I think that um, <clears throat> it was something that I... I, I, I had wanted to tell her story for some time... Uh, but I think getting to the idea of need is really is really critical in telling any story. Mm -hmm. It's what I tell my yeah. 
little screenwriting students who I teach, I say, oh, tell me any story from the past. I love history, but you better have a purpose for it in the future. It better shake things up moving forward in a good way. Uh, so answer that question before you tell me what happened, uh, no matter how fascinating what happened um, was. And so... I, didn't ha I certainly didn't have a purpose for the memoirs that people were asking me to write, say, 10 years ago around milk or five years ago around the Supreme Court case for marriage equality. Sadly, uh, my mom and I started having conversations around the divide we were seeing in our own family and the heat of the arguments that were happening over phones or in visits around politics. And it was becoming clear that politics was becoming a divide in our family, in our community, it was getting so hot that people weren't talking to each other anymore. There were tears. And this was all so new to us. I mean, we'd always been passionate about our beliefs, uh, but we never let it come between us. And let me be clear, my mom's beliefs didn't match with mine. My mom was Mormon. She worked in the military. She grew up in Louisiana and Texas. She voted Republican. She, uh, for most of her life, wasn't down with the gays. And she gives birth to me a kid who went to Hollywood instead of going on a Mormon mission to make movies and then fight for marriage equality. But because of she was paralyzed, because she was abandoned by her first husband, my father, um, we had to raise her as much as she raised us in very practical ways. Um, and so we knew that though we didn't agree on things politically, we always had to find the bridge. There was no question about it. It was hard work. It wasn't always easy. There, we did have to both hear things we didn't want to hear. I said things to my mom I'm sure she didn't want to hear um, and vice versa. But we had to figure it out. Mm. And so in these now incredibly politically divided times, both here in the UK and back home, I thought I, I have a story with a purpose. My mom and I figured it out. We knew the trick uh, to building a bridge where people these days are saying none can exist. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to tell the story. I wanted people to see how it's not always easy, but at the end, it's really worth it. It can be uh, expansive um, and, and, to, and, and to push people to explore their own courage and their own curiosity in this venture to build bridges across political divides. We got to do it. Yes. And I thought yeah. this story... Uh, might help a few people out there figure out how. A hundred percent. That is, I mean, that is exactly what I got from this book. I loved learning about you, but and and it so zoomed in to your experience, which was it was so fascinating and, and amazing. But when you zoom out, what you're talking about is the you know the building building the bridges, having more conversations, storytelling, and how you can win people over. Mm -hmm. And I'm so I just I I don't know a more urgent message than than that right now in the world. And I hope. That it it's, you know, I, I do think stories are the way to change a heart, and that's how you change a mind. I say it all the time. Uh, no matter how much we believe the facts and the science and the law are on our side, and I believe in facts and science and law, uh, but you got to take that extra step to find the story that illuminates them. If you just take the facts, the science, and the law, it's like... It's like you're taking a gun to the conversation, you know? People are going to just dig their trench deeper. If you bring a story, especially a good story personal story, emotional story, people will listen. Now, the tough part, and it's what this book gets into, is I, as much as I appreciated that my mother showed the courage to get on a plane and come to California after she found out I was gay, and the curiosity to actually listen to gay people tell their stories to her, their personal stories, 
And I saw how that didn't get us to agree on everything politically, but in some ways it cracked uh, open a bit of understanding uh, that allowed our relationship to continue and to be and to flourish, really. I realized as I started to lose my mom that I had copped out, that I hadn't gone the other way, that I hadn't gone back to Texas, I hadn't gone back to the Mormon church to see if I could show that courage and to show the curiosity to ask more questions and to listen to them, even when it was difficult to, to see if we could build a bridge there. I think that is, is the even more difficult lesson, but it's the one we really have to do. We love to talk and to be heard. But are we willing to be curious and to listen? Because that's where that understanding will uh, it will take place. As I go on and on and on, talking, 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 taking over your podcast no, right now. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, I, I, with the Mormon community and childhood, I mean, I know that you reference this in the book. So I feel like I'm not just being stupid, but like with the Book of Mormon yeah. and how that's been obviously mainstream, everyone feels like they know a little bit about it. But It's very accurate, but by the way. Is it? <laughs> the Book of Mormon musical is incredibly accurate in terms of the facts of the faith. And 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 if you go with, with Mormons, which I have, uh, it's really funny. Like we get all the inside jokes. I mean, there's a reason that the Mormon church advertises in the back of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. They do. They put an ad out in the, in the program. So... Uh, you're not learning everything there, but you learn a lot about Mormons. Mm. I mean, courage is like the main word I come to when I was reading your book. Is like there's so many acts of courage, and uh, there must be a lot of people out there who actually don't take that step towards being themselves. I I would imagine so. Um, and it, and and some people have to show more courage than others. I mean, I had to show some because of where I came from, a very conservative. Uh, place, but uh, let's be clear: there's no death penalty for being gay, not prescribed by law, at least where I come from. Um, the the places in the world right now where people um, have to show an incredible amount of courage are places like, uh, uh, you know, Uganda, uh, Iran, um, Chechnya. I mean, these are places where, throughout the Middle East other countries in Africa where it is the death penalty is in place if you're mm -hmm. discovered to be gay and what we need what we know we need as any minority not just gay people is to be able to be open and candid about who we are to tell our stories it's our personal stories that dispel whatever myths that create fears um, and a death penalty silences those stories mm. it's going to take some incredibly courageous people in those places coming out uh, and telling their stories to ever uh, create progress there. And, and I always say our responsibility in places like the UK, which is so advanced compared to the rest of the world, or the United States, which still has a ways to go but is advanced, is we have to shine a spotlight on those people who are brave enough to come out in those places where it's deadly to be gay. Mm -hmm. And that's really the protection we can offer them, is our attention and is that light so that the rulers of those uh, countries think twice before they put them to death yes because i want to talk to you about your activism because i feel like um i mean it's obviously amazing what you've what you've done and what people continue to do and i wondered how how do you balance that activism and that energy and that emotion with like day-to-day -day life because i've been reading a lot about activism burnout at the moment and how yeah. the people that need the activism who need to be activists the most are like the most vulnerable people in society who are constantly putting themselves out there and it's like well <clears throat> it's a it's it's a complicated one i'm i'm terrible at it just ask 
um, in terms of balance, ask my agents in Hollywood. They're like, when are you coming back to write us some more movies, buddy? Um, the, uh, so I don't always find that balance, it, it, but I do burn out. And it is difficult. It's why in the book I go into a bit about where you're going to face resistance first so that people see it coming at least, so that it's not traumatizing, which means you're first going to get resistance from within your own and likely your heroes in whatever movement you're a part of. Uh, because we're all feeling our way through the dark on this thing. We know what we want, but we don't know how to get there. People have ideas that you know run contrary to other people's ideas and their squabbles and their fights and... Um, and uh, I, I say, particularly to young people, uh, and I don't classify myself as that anymore, but to the young people coming up, I say, have faith in your gut. If your gut says, this is what you need to do, and this is how it needs to be done, and I'm going to do it, listen to your elders and their concerns, but only insofar as it helps you figure out if you've got a blind spot in your idea. Don't give up your idea. I think we are in a moment in this world which happens once or twice a century where the old, and I put myself in that group now, have lost their way for the most part and are talking about things that are incredibly divisive. Uh, and I think it's time for the young to lead the old. Because I think so many people kind of brush off young people as not knowing what they're doing. But that energy and that optimism when you're young, I feel like that can't be replaced, can it? And that objectivity. I mean, that new set of eyes and ears uh, to look at the world's problems and going, oh, gosh, I, I don't have all my pre all these preconceptions that the people in, you know, the older generations have. I'm not, uh, you know, and those are built on things that don't exist anymore. What they have are fresh eyes. They're looking at the planet saying, oh, we're killing the planet. They're looking at guns in America and saying we're killing each other. They see with absolute clarity and, and, and I think we have to honor that. Mm -hmm. And I think I, 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 I urge young people to trust their guts. Uh, we need you to lead right now. Uh, the older generations and the folks who somehow found themselves in places of power aren't leading right now. Uh, and where they do lead us seems to be towards fear and the divisions that come from fear. It happens it's a cycle. It's a pendulum. This has happened in history forever and ever and ever. Uh, if you want inspiration, young people, look to what the youth did in the United States in 1968 and 1969 around Vietnam. Those weren't adults. Those were really four teenage and early 20-something kids who shut down the country to say that this was an illegal, immoral war. And within four years, they got it stopped. Mm. We need the, the, the courage and the clarity of youth to lead us again. I'm here to help uh, if I can so give true. advice, but, but I, I do know that I don't always have the same clarity anymore because I've lived a little too much at this point. Yeah. So, so let's listen to the young people. Totally. There, there's something so sad though about seeing like 14 year old activists and it's like they don't have a choice it's, it makes you, I mean, it makes me reflect on my childhood. I was literally sitting in a park drinking vodka when I was 14. Wow. That's privilege. Um, wow. But, you know. I, we, we didn't have that I mean, in the Mormon home, I'll tell you that. There was That didn't happen. I felt I felt guilty when I had a diet Pepsi because of the caffeine. I'm like, well, I'm going to hell now. Hence all the caffeine now. Yeah, making up for lost time. Um, I know that it's taken me, you know, 20 minutes into the podcast to mention this. People already know, but you obviously won an Oscar 
Yeah. For milk. I liked that you had I, mentioned that. I loved that about our conversation. No, I, like, no, that, I mean, obviously, incredible, incredible thing. And your speech it is very moving. And I feel like that is activism as well, that people, you know, people that use that, that platform, like all the eyes and ears, everyone was watching TV that night and, and you said what you said. Um, how did how did that feel in that moment to work on something like so huge and to be able to spread that message? I mean, it was, at the time, it was incredibly necessary. Um, that was a story that had been lost to history, like almost all of LGBT history has been lost. Um, it was illegal. Uh, certainly you would face, uh, you know, horrible medical procedures if anyone found out you were gay, so why would you write down our history? Um, that has to be rebuilt. Uh, any minority needs their history in order to gain the strength it takes to survive as a minority in the world, and we don't have one. Milk is one, I say, one tiny little stone in what needs to become a giant mosaic of who we are. Uh, it is by no means the end, but it was one little piece of where we still are, which is the beginning of rebuilding. Um, it also meant that the, the lessons of how you win as an LGBT person uh, at the ballot box, politically, had been lost. And Milk had gotten it right, which was, let's not be self-interested. Let's not be myopic. If you were a part of a movement, you need to lock arms with other social justice movements, which also means mm. you had to get off your tail, even if you're a man, and march with the women's marches, right? Even if you're a white guy, you better go pay attention to why Black Lives Matter and join in. If, if we expect our brothers and sisters and other social justice movements to be there for us, we have to be there for them, really be there for them, not just tweet. Sorry, guys. Mm. Tweeting's awesome. I, I, I don't know that I mean what I just said there, <laughs> but it certainly isn't activism. I will say, just as, as we get down to it, because this question arises so often when I'm uh, out speaking, particularly young people, and in in, in in, in this has to do with that exhaustion. Um, it can be trying. You do need to take time away. Don't unplug for a week from social media. That's really can help you get your bearings again. Figure out where, why this movement's in your heart. Get out of your head for a while. Take those long walks. But because the answer to the question of how long do we have to do this work as minorities is good. It's good news. You get to do it forever. Mm -hmm. In fact, you have to do it forever. Uh, even if we make great gains, which we saw... You know, starting six, seven years ago, as we were making great gains as LGBT people, well, there's still more to be fought for, and then we have to defend our gains. That's the nature of being a minority. But guess what? It's soul feeding work. Yeah. Take care of yourself, but it's soul feeding work. Try to leave whatever anger you have behind. That's why I suggest getting away from social media. I don't know that anger is always the best way uh, to, to wage these battles, uh, and that can eat away at you. Yeah. Um, but if you can get back into your heart, uh, get back to that hopeful message, get back to that progressive message, that message that says the world could look like X, Y, and Z, and it's a better place, get back to that hopeful place, uh, then you'll hopefully you'll be renewed. Mm. When you say that, it's almost like, you know, being involved in activism is almost like the community that we don't have anymore. I was reading this thing about how, like, a lot of us don't have religion. We don't really have neighbors. We don't have communities. We've got a Twitter feed. And we are, like, craving, like some sort of collaboration in our daily lives because we're mm. all so alone but it is really isolating i don't like it i i um i take social media breaks mm -hmm. i announce it as i'm like i'm taking a week away from twitter i'm still alive <laughs> even <laughs> though i'm not tweeting that. yeah yeah you gotta you should do it try it
and on on that kind of note of um of like progress and things actually changing i wondered because in the book there's there's you when you accidentally come out to your mum you call it because you kind of you don't like plan to but it she yeah. reads your face and the room and you have this like emotional me- um, meeting it's not meeting emotional conversation yeah and then you also come out to friends in the book and and yeah. i wondered it's kind of a random question but i know that I like in in, in my family like when my uncle came out it i mean i wasn't alive when he came out but it you know and it was really hard for him and i wondered like in the future is progress when no one comes out they're just living i I, you know, I have some fellow activists my age and, and older who uh, sometimes complain about, like, how easy it is these days to come out. Or, like, you see some now celebrities, like, reaching to come out as this or that. Uh, and you wonder uh, if they're just trying to get some publicity. Like, it's all flipped. The conversation's flipped. And I, I always say to them, I'm like, this is great. What we want as LGBT activists is to be forgotten. We want to make ourselves um, absolutely unnecessary. Uh, and and uh, you have to, and if you're going to be an activist, be ready to be forgotten and be ready to be taken for granted because that means you did what you were supposed to do. Mm. Uh, so don't take it personally. If you want to be famous, you should come ask to be in one of my movies. If you want to be an activist, you need to let go of fame. Mm, that, wow, I love that. Yeah. We, we were actually saying, um, <laughs> Lance's publicist, marketer is in the room, and we were saying that you talk in like these incredible quotes that I just like want on a t-shirt. Do you remember? Should we start it's a t-shirt? Even, just, it's so natural. Oh, yeah, let's start Everything a t-shirt company. Like so I was raised. I was raised by. It's not me. I mean, I would. I would love to take uh, credit for everything that's buzzing through my brain right now. But uh, it's it's partly why I wrote the book. I. I this is an inheritance. Um, it's a testament to how my mother told me the stories of her mom, my my grandmother Koki, who I never met, but I feel like I knew who raised nine children on her own in the poorest city in the United States on a tenant farm, um, and and still, for whatever reason, never thought that anything was impossible. Wore these cat-eye glasses, which she said had diamonds in the corner, which we all knew weren't diamonds, <laughs> right? And sewed the most spectacular dresses for her girls for prom. So they looked, even though they had no money in the house, uh, you know, they ate cornbread and beans because meat was too expensive most nights. Nothing was impossible. That was passed on to my mother. Um, and my mother believed anything was possible. My mother believed in the necessity of building bridges. Uh, my mother believed we don't go to bed angry at one another. Uh, you know, I learned that from these strong women. Um, it's my great hope that I'll be able to pass some of that down to my son. Um, but I'm well aware that if there's a great quote that comes out of my mouth, it probably belongs to my grandmother, Koki, who I never met. And with this book, I just wondered, because I know that you're doing lots of events and you're meeting people. Um, obviously, a lot of people that come to your events are going to be f- fans of you and your work and, and love the book. But are you, do you try and have difficult conversations just like in your life or like what, just as a side note, like for this podcast, for example, I invite people on who I think are just incredible creative people. But some of the feedback I get is like, why don't you get someone on who you disagree with? And that's a really good point. Yeah. I don't know if that's my speciality like there's lots of people that do that really well but it's a good point like we need to have these hard conversations not just easy ones it's so scary and um and also 
there's a an uh, almost like a reflex to fight back which is just built into who we are uh, and recognizing that feeling when it comes up and I'm not always successful trust me ask my husband sometimes I fight back um, but when you can identify it and get curious and say oh no no my job right now is to ask questions I, it doesn't matter if I like the answer that comes out. My job right now is to ask questions. Uh, I think I put that to a test in this podcast that I did on surrogacy. Um, oh wow! And uh, and with the BBC, um, and and I said to the producers, we got to have everyone on. We have to bring on the people who absolutely disagree, and find out why. Mm-hmm. It was so fruitful. And let me tell you, these were the most passionate. Uh, uh, anti-surrogacy people on the forefront of that fight um, and I have to say I think we we learned a lot about each other and they made good points I think they made what I discovered was hey we don't want to have happened in the UK or the US what happened in India and Thailand they're right mm. I don't think we would have found that common ground uh, had I not had to remind myself 20 times on those podcast interviews not to get angry but to keep asking questions wow um, that is I'm really impressed with that. I mean, I, I want to do better on that front. I could like, fight you right now. Do you want to say something? <laughs> I hate floral green dresses. I hate floral green dresses, which is what you have on right now. I'm going to fight. Oh, I'm just trying to be myself. It's actually, it's actually not true. It's actually not true. I love your dress. It's awesome. So I can't, but I can't, th- I don't know. You actually look, fin- I have nothing to disagree with you about yet. An amazing message of the book that um, really comes through is just like having reaching out and just you can love someone and disagree with them and you can actually learn more about other people by getting out of your own bubble i don't know how it translates um and it's a lofty idea it's not an easy one i don't i don't want to pretend that this is easy but i was um i was actually a conversation i was having with a a famous very famous artist who's my neighbor in la and i was asking him he's british um oh his name's david hockney i'll just spill it right there i don't think that's a and um and I asked him if he was paying attention to Brexit and to the political thing because he loves it here as well as in the United States where he lives. And and he said, you know, Lance, I I think we operate in what we do on a higher plane than all of that. And this was years ago. And I just it started to wake me up uh, to what was going on culturally in terms of our bubbles and how it seemed that we were starting to uh, build like these iron gates around our political affiliations so in america if you put a republican or democrat on your voter registration card all of a sudden it well well, gradually it seems this was becoming the highest plane of existence just by how well we were defending it and i thought oh my goodness if you step back if you really step back and go okay in this amazing universe that we live in on this beautiful planet that we are still struggling to even comprehend its beauty um, and how intricate it is. And we've been gifted with these eyes and these ears and this heart. We can see it. We can smell it. We can feel it. We can look out into outer space. We're getting even better at that. We're going to say that the very highest plane of existence is whether you put Republican or Democrat on your voter registration card. It sounds like mental illness, people. History, History will look at that as mental illness. Like we had, we got sick for a while. Humanity got a little sick for a while. Uh, we have to sort that out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it starts by acknowledging that it's not our highest plane. The one not five-star review of this book that I've read so far was 
uh, done in San Francisco, which saddened me. And the reviewer at the San Francisco Chronicle argued that politics is the highest plane of existence. The minute that we stop using so many grouping words for people and like homogenizing things like all the bad things in the world happened from labels and mm. pitting people against each other. And it's like, well, that's happening right now. A good way to qualify this. There are some people out there in the world who have figured out that uh, through fear and division, they can make money and gain power. Those aren't the people I'm talking about building bridges to. I, I, there's no illusions. I don't think I can build a bridge to Donald Trump or even to some of his supporters. I also can't build a bridge maybe to some people on the extreme left. It's just not going to happen. Mm. And so there's too many, There's if there's a desire to divide uh, so that you can get attention or money or, you know, or more, more powerful, forget about it. That's not most people. So my last question, what are you looking forward to? What are you excited about that's coming up? Oh my goodness gracious. There's so many things. Um, I... I mean, I am looking forward to, particularly after last night's reception at our first stop on the book tour, I am looking forward to the next stops in the book tour. It seems tour. like you're on, a you're on a high from last night. You know, it was this very interesting idea we had, which was, let's not do these in bookstores, let's do them in churches. And we did that in the United States, and to great success, hundreds of people showing up uh, to book events, which doesn't usually happen. But I thought... Book events, the new rock star gigs. I, I had no idea. And... And, you know, if, if the book is saying reach out, build a bridge, find unexpected allies, lock arm, all that sort of thing, well, then it didn't make sense to do it, you know, certainly not in gay clubs and gay bars and gay ghettos, because that's preaching be so to the fun, choir. Though. It's super fun, <laughs> by the way, super fun. Uh, but what made more sense was to do it in churches and see if we could start a conversation. And, and we tested that out here for the first time at Southern Cathedral and to see the response and to... Uh, hear the response. Uh, I feel like, you know, we might not have built a bridge, but I think more and more people who are in that audience are like, oh, I think we could build one right here. I think it's possible. Um, and I, I reckon every single person has that, has someone in their family or like social group who you're at a dinner party and you're like, you're just saying the wrong thing. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> and we need to build a bridge. <laughs> well, just, just sort of family dynamics, um, in the problems we uh, you know have in the world certainly in politics and activism the most powerful stage in the world for change uh even on the biggest issues there are is the dining room table and that's me saying that as a filmmaker and as a playwright those stages aren't as powerful as that dining room table and if you're brave enough to continue to have those meals with people who you disagree with uh chances are you're going to start to see each other a bit more clearly you might not agree on everything but you'll find some common ground uh my cousin who's I, I talk about in the book and he was very clear about who he was politically certainly on gay issues he was just not having it um my cousin lynn and um and you can read what happened between us in the book he was one of my two uh journeys to try and show that courage and curiosity my mom did he lived in texarkana i went back and had the conversations i'll leave that to the book what was really meaningful to me and for people who read the book is when we landed in dallas which is a long drive from texarkana uh, when we landed in dallas for that book event at the cathedral of hope a church he showed up Mm. he showed up he showed up to support me I to support the book, bits in the book. And, and yeah and he gave me a big old hug and even bigger than that 
because that was already enough for me. I was I was in tea. I feel like I'm going to get teary talking about it, but now I am. <laughs> Even bigger than that is that on the other side of, of that event at the Cathedral of Hope, he posted all the pictures on his Facebook with a message of support and saying, I know I'm going to lose some friends for this. And guess what? He didn't. He's been writing me every day saying, you know, my buddy just said that his daughter came out too. Oh, and uh, it's just been... You know, it's been moving, um, but it, it's what happens when uh, we show the courage to talk to each other despite our political differences. I'm not going to make him a Democrat. That's never going to happen. Well, thank you for putting this out in the world because you've done so much and you've put yourself out there and you've been so courageous with the message that I think it's quite infectious and I'm excited for other people to read it. Oh, I so, so appreciate you doing this. It means you. a lot. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs>